This is the Gospel for Life, where we have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. Around the table today is Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Jonathan Van Hoogen from Dayspring United Reformed Church, Vinnie Hanke from Valley Life Community Church, and Ryan Hemphill from Treasure Valley Reformed Presbyterian Church. To catch earlier broadcasts, just search The Gospel for Life wherever you subscribe. To find out more about this ministry and about our annual conference, go to ReformationBoise.com. Welcome back to The Gospel for Life. We have been talking about evangelism. We actually have talked in the past of having a whole conference on evangelism. Good thing that we have many more years. To... But the reform don't evangelize. Yes, so. exactly. That's exactly. Why would right. we want to do that? And you can hear <laughs> more news. about that <laughs> on a previous podcast, yesterday's podcast, where we did talk about how the reformed have never been good <laughs> at evangelism because we believe in the sovereignty of God. Um, Oh, boy. Why do we invite him into the studio? <laughs> That's the question that it's we need It's so to... easy for you to take the bait. Yeah, it is. I just hooked it. If you want to subscribe to our podcast, you can go to The Gospel for Life and just search that whenever, however you listen to podcasts, and you should be able to subscribe. And we thank our tens and tens of listeners who are currently subscribed to our podcast. It's always good to have you. If you have any feedback for us, you can let us know at thegospelforlifeidaho at gmail.com, and we will gladly engage with you. Remember the disclaimer, I am not allowed because of privacy laws to disclose anything about Josh's issues. (laughs) Thank God. But the question I want to begin with today is, what is wrong? This is leading the witness. So I'm already telling you that I don't like the quote. (laughs) Terrible. That is terrible radio. But what is wrong with the quote, share the gospel, if necessary, use words. Maybe we can come up with our own, like, uh, take a shower, if necessary, use water. This is a Francis of Assisi quote. Actually, is it? Fact check. Attributed to him, but it's it's attributed to him, not said by him. Okay, very good. Very good. That's but first thing wrong with the quote. It's not a quote. It's not a quote. It's just that's 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 good to know. I think that the I think the problem is is the gospel is words. You know, we've pointed out all all along. This is the good message. Evangelion, uh, the good message. Uh, you you must use words. You must share the content of the good news in order for it to be good news. Yeah, I think Psalm nineteen helps us here because if the gospel would be able, to, if the gospel is just something we could see out in the world, we would we would discover it. Psalm nineteen makes the point of glorifying God's creation in the first half and then God's word in the second half of the psalm. Creation in and of itself cannot lead to the knowledge exactly. that Christ yeah. came, walked in the flesh, and was crucified. That has to be something that, that is proclaimed by words. In the same manner which your lifestyle of kindness or goodness toward your neighbor will not lead them most likely to a knowledge of their own sin yeah. and to the gracious gift of God in Christ. I think it also just it goes back to what we've been talking about, being man-centered. I've heard this. Like I was in a seeker-friendly church for 10 years. This was said frequently. Mm-hmm. And it's the shift from God-centered to man-centered, because yep. if I can preach the gospel just by simply living my life, then who is the gospel really about? Yep. 
It's about me and my goodness. And the idea is that we are to live lives that point outside of ourselves, should direct people to God, to the work of God in our hearts and lives. That's the good part of that. That is. Because um, when I'm living in my own community, there ought to be something in me that sees a need in my neighbor. I go out and take care of that need. You know, whether it's in the wintertime and I cross the street to shovel the walk of the of the elderly person or I mow the yard of the guy that has cancer next to me. Those are things that I do. They're they're part of the fabric of uh, being a, a believer. You know, and this was the apologetic that took place even in the in the first century. These men have their own wives. These men don't share them. These men, you know, they raise other people's children. These look men how do, they love each other. Look how they love each other. Mm-hmm. So there is a there is a definite need for you know having the gospel for life, yeah. permeating and, your and, life. And if we don't, Paul condemns that behavior in Romans two. He says, uh, "My name, God says, my name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, because of your behavior." Mm-hmm. So we absolutely. Uh, Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, verse 11, set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. So we don't have an option. We do have to live out the implications of the gospel in our daily life. It's not an either or. It's a both and. Right. And Peter would suggest that our lives then prompt the unbeliever to say, What's different about yeah, you? Yeah. Tell why, me why about this the hope, hope that's within you. Yeah, and so we should be living in a way that's prompting conversation to follow. Yeah, or an, an opportunity to give a defense. Yeah. yeah, I think the court is trying to answer that that cranky evangelist who's just proclaiming the damnation and hellfire, or whose content uh, of their message doesn't match the character of their life. Right. Mm-hmm. So, but we can't dismiss the use of words in our gospel message. Right. Yeah. Well, and I, and in some ways, then it 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 quote, gets us off the hook, right? Yeah. That evangelism can be hard. Yeah. yeah. Because you are, the content of evangelism by its very nature is offensive. It, yeah. yeah, it is. It is an offense. It's, just, it's, the, it's the stench of death to those who are perishing. You know, it's, it's the fragrance of life to those who receive it. It's wonderful when the good news of the gospel is embraced by those that you share it with. But we've all been in those situations where people have just said no, thank you, yeah. mm-hmm. and sometimes not even so nicely said, yeah. <laughs> said no, thank you. So I get why it's tempting to say, well, I don't ever need to use words; I can just live a godly life before other people. But I would put that in the Romans one category. Yeah, general, it, general revelation can only yeah. say so much. And yeah. is it godly to live a life where you never speak about God? Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna say no. Ding ding ding! Be super clear. I love history, and I never knew that about I you. I know, I know. I but thought you that's just weird. did math. I yeah, do, me I too. do math. I do math for fun. History for what's things. wrong with you? <laughs> what's wrong with you people? Um, but it's it's interesting to see the church. Through the ages, right? There are there are movements, there's trends, there's tendencies. And C.S. Lewis would often write about this idea that some, so often we get caught up in our chronological moment that we fail to see the development that has happened over time. He would call it chronological snobbery. And I would suggest that right now the, the church has short-term 
memory but doesn't have long-term memory that it doesn't remember things beyond a certain amount of time and there was an individual called charles finney in the second great awakening that has had an incredible impact on the modern church that took it in a direction that it wasn't at before so what influence did finney have on evangelism and at the expense of what yeah and just cards on the table not a finney fan yeah in the first great awakening you had you know figures like jonathan edwards and george whitfield who preached a very god-centered gospel in fact uh, sinners in the hands of an angry god was one of the messages that came out of that era you go listen to that message and it's not what you would call seeker friendly but it gave this big view of god and it it actually drove people to during edwards preaching at at enfield it drove people out of the seats in and clamoring for salvation and all he was doing was preaching. He wasn't calling for a decision. Fast forward to the Second Great Awakening, and it moved from a God-centered view to a man-centered view, and specifically to decisional regeneration, where it's about your choice, it's about your decision. And Finney was a master tactician in terms of if we just you know set the stage right, if, you know, in, in our modern vernacular, let's get the smoke machines out, let's dim the lights uh, with all eyes closed and all ha- you know ra- raise your hand, head bow your head, and and you know sign the card for Jesus. It is. It totally cha- transformed evangelism, and in, in a very bad way, mm-hmm. uh, because it, it it made people think that if I just say yes to this, then that means I'm in. And so it it made a whole you know generation. I would argue of nominal Christians. It I think set the stage for a lot of what Billy Graham did. Although I love Billy Graham in terms of uh, he was able to preach a, a good message. He he combined a lot of Finney's techniques in his you know revivals. This is when revival stopped being spirit-driven. If you've not read Jonathan Edwards' Religious Affections, yeah. I, I think it, it would be a helpful book to read because it, it really does not only address the, some of the emotionalism of his own day, but it's timeless in its application to the emotionalism that Finney hyper-accentuated that I would say that religious affections is even more important today than it was when it was written. Absolutely. But it shifted it from a spirit-driven revival to an emotional, man-centered, man-created, quote, revival. It would be my summation of the work of Finney. Jesus said in John 3, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus immediately was like, well, how can a man... You know, can a man enter into his mother's womb a second time? And then Jesus made it clear. It's like, look, the wind goes wherever it wishes. You, you can hear the, its, its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. And so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Salvation is not a decision that, that man can make. Yes, we must believe. That's true. And we will preach that. You know, it's, it's not a contradiction to say that salvation is not ultimately up to you. Maybe this is the way to say it. Men do not make themselves Christians. God does. And what Finney did is that he, he flipped that to where if we just have the right technique, we can make men Christian. It, it's so hard to talk about because it's not entirely either or. So man does make a decision, but man makes a decision because the Spirit has done a work of regeneration, which allows now him to make a decision 
to say, I choose Christ. And he really does choose Christ yeah. because Christ has chosen him and did a work within him through his spirit. And God gave spirit. the gift of faith along with that. And yes. that faith has an obligation to be exercised, and it is exercised in the direction of God. And Repentance so, and faith, both are gifts of God. Right. But, but what Finney did is that he said we can guarantee those outcomes if we just do evangelism if, right. Yes. If we do the it. reason why evangelism is working for me, so says Finney, is because I'm doing it right. Yes. Yeah. He he also was really messed up with regard to his theology. So if a person sinned, he he was immediately not a Christian, and so he needed to be saved again. Mm-hmm. Now I I know that because I got saved multiple times as a child, <laughs> you know, over and over and over again. Every time I went to camp, I was saved again. <laughs> yeah, I worked at a Bible camp for years, and the same kids were coming forward. I'm like, wait, I've seen you before. <laughs> yeah. We've had this same yeah. conversation before. Yeah. Well, but even it, real quick, even with the, but that, the Billy Graham, you know, phenomenon, they would have people come down on the field. Statistics, it, their own internal statistics, mm-hmm. demonstrate that only like one to five percent of all of those people that ever came down on the field, ever plugged in, ever actually came under the lordship of Christ, ever joined a church. Mm-hmm. That is not a good statistic. No, but. If it's an emotional experience, and I don't want to downplay emotions because emotions are, are, are a gift of God. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're not negative. So we never should talk about emotions as a, as a negative thing. But emotionalism is a negative thing where we're making decisions based upon an experience that was contrived. That's, that's negative. Yeah, it leaves out the whole knowledge, assent, and trust yep. that's necessary to come to faith. And the work of the Spirit to, to draw people unto, mm-hmm. unto God. Well, you've been listening to the Gospel for Life. We will see you next time.